Welcome to the Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network. Here's your host, Luke McCormack. Good afternoon and welcome to this special edition of the Federal Executive Forum celebrating 17 years of profiling IT mission programs in the federal government. This is our annual 10th annual Profiles in Excellence program, which will be coming to you from the virtual studios of WTOP and the Federal News Network. I'm Luke McCormack, and during today's show, we will discuss IT program success stories at numerous government agencies and hear from key leaders making them happen. With me on today's show are Ann Duncan, Chief Information Officer, U.S. Department of Energy, Gary Washington, Chief Information Officer, U.S. Department of Agriculture, Sylvia Burns, Chief Information Officer, Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, Melinda Rogers, Chief Information Officer, U.S. Department of Justice, Jonathan Album, Federal Chief Technology Officer, ServiceNow, and Nick Saki, Principal Technologist, Office of the CTO, North American Public Sector, Pure Storage. Well, I think if we had Claire walk in here, we'd have an executive council today. And uh, it certainly is an honor to have all of you here uh, with us today. Uh, you know, uh, reflecting back, uh, I think we all recognize that there's there's certain things that you have to do, right? Uh, there's certain things that lots of folks are telling you to do. And there's a whole handful of things that you know you need to do. And that's, you know, we're going to talk about sort of all of those, perhaps more towards the, uh, the, the latter. And we're going to start with you. You and I shared some time last year at a conference out in the West Coast. A lot of excitement there, a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of energy, no pun intended. Uh, tell us about the state of the state, sort of looking back at this year. And uh, what have you been up to there? Hey, Luke, thank you for, for hosting me today. Uh, it's, it's great to great, see you. It's great to uh, to be here with all of my colleagues. And I agree, we could just about have a CIO council meeting. Uh, and, and thankfully, uh, unlike yesterday's meeting, I'm not seeing an airport trying to hear everybody. So it's, <laughs> it's a win. Um, also, just and thank you for coming to our DOE Cybersecurity Innovation Conference last year, and, and we would very much like to host you again this year. So with that said, you're on. Um, all right. Super. Um, so just a, a few of the things uh, that we've accomplished, in addition to uh, bringing that conference back after a, a three year hiatus. Um, so service delivery has been a real focus for us in the last year. Uh, we really want the Office of CIO to become DOE service provider of choice. Um, and, you know, we, we, the DOE, I wasn't there during the pandemic for most of the early parts of the pandemic. Obviously, mm -hmm. the pandemic's not really over, um, but I wasn't there for the early part. But during that time, uh, the office did a great job of keeping things running, just like everybody else will tell you they did. Um, but since then, we've, you know, we're up in our game and we're bringing parts of DOE that were previously not supported by our office in by their choice. They are contacting us now and saying, we'd like to, to, to bring some services back into your office. So to me, that's how I know that we're doing a good job. Um, we're not perfect, but we're making progress because people want to come into the fold. Um, Second area I'll mention uh, for the last year is cybersecurity. Um, you know, cybersecurity is not the most important thing we do, but if we don't do it well, we can't do anything else. Uh, so uh, that's, you know, it, it is what enhance, enhances our ability to deliver the mission by keeping DOE safe and secure. Um, and we've been putting a lot of energy into that and to uh, adopting, or excuse me, implementing the executive order on cybersecurity and, um, Dealing with DOE's very unique challenges in that space with the large amount of OT and research devices that we have. Um, the third area I want to mention is innovation. 
Um, we have uh, earlier this year, and we announced it in fact in Portland at the conference. Mm-hmm. Um, we delivered our, um, our, t- our our scaling innovation playbook, which is available to anyone who wants to look at it out at our CIO site, energy.gov forward slash CIO, to help people scale innovation. But then we came back to that, um, and we're using that ourselves. So it's our it's our roadmap to deliver innovation through organization. Um, one of the big focus areas for that for us is building a low-code, no-code factory um, and really enhancing our ability to deliver applications to the organization quickly with a um, rapid ATO process um, and, and, in, and in multi-cloud environments. So we have really seen over the last year our ability to deliver. We really struggled with the vaccine attestation program last year, um, being able to deliver that in a quick Away, and we have very quickly learned and grown from that time where we're delivering applications across the organization. So when the team needed something spun up to support Ukraine, we were able to do that. One of the parts of the organization needed applications quickly to uh, support um, hiring for the the bill um, staffing that we were getting. We were able to quickly deliver those applications. So we're we're making progress there. And then the last area um, I'll mention is collaboration across DOE. Um, I've spent, I spent my first year uh, making sure the labs understood that I did not have some hidden agenda, was there to help and support them. Mm-hmm. And uh, since then, we've really been able to work together with our peers across DOE, the interagency, um, and internationally to really develop some new capabilities. Um, we've, we, we've, we focus very much on helping DOE know what DOE knows. So we published DOE's first advanced wireless strategy which came out of our catalog of DOE's advanced wireless capabilities, um, where then we can identify gaps and overlaps and, and, and update those. And we're doing the same in the space of cyber research across DOE. What are we doing at DOE? What do we know? Who's doing that? And how can we make sure that DOE and our partners know what our capabilities are? So those are the four areas I think we're really excited about what we've accomplished in the last A lot year. of good stuff. And when, when those, uh, uh, those, uh, labs are not running and hiding and reaching out to you, you know, you're on a path to goodness there. So, and I encourage everyone to take a look at that publication. We'll make sure to publish a link on our website as well. Uh, Gary, I'm going to go over to you at agriculture. I know there's a lot of activity going on over there. I always like to point out, and I would ask you the depth and breadth of the size of department of agriculture is absolutely massive, uh, including globally. And I think people just don't appreciate that. So Gary, please. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having us. I'm excited to be with my peers. Yeah, uh, the Department of Agriculture, um, as you know, has over 100,000 employees and we service all Americans every day. And we also have an international presence as well. I think we're in like 94 different countries uh, across the globe. So, you know, we spend a lot of time uh, as my peers do on a daily basis, trying to ensure that we can provide top-notch services to all of these employees like foresters, ranchers, farmers, scientists, statisticians, um, and others that um, perform uh, their their duties on a daily basis. Uh, You know, I've been really, we've been really focused on, um, you know, continuing to support our employees in this uh, remote, uh, uh, this COVID environment where everybody's working remotely. So as you can imagine, especially in rural America, it's uh, extremely difficult to you know, provide these services. And we, we've been doing a pretty good job of that. Um, we've been really focusing on um, continuing to strengthen our cybersecurity posture across USDA, 
as well as um, supporting the customer experience executive order, because we have like five high impact service providers that support that EO. I think we have more his, uh, than any other de department. And um, so we, we're working with uh, several of our mission areas to make sure that we digitized uh, our services to our customers from end to end, you know, really focusing on how do we improve um, service delivery to our customers and uh, how do we uh, improve the customer experience to everybody. So uh, there, there's really a great focus around that. Um, we've, um, we've published a, um, a five-year IT strategic plan that's been endorsed by a secretary, you know, and, and there's a focus on digitization, uh, cybersecurity, um, you know, like everybody else, we, we haven't worked, we're going to have workforce challenges. About half of our current IT workforce is able to retire. So we're starting to, um, you know, be very aggressive about engaging, uh, you know, at universities and uh, minority service institutions and letting, uh, you know, college students know that there's opportunities at USDA uh, with, you know, looking at futuristic skill sets like, you know, uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, you know, people who want to get involved in the Internet of Things, uh, those kinds of things. And, um, you know, as you know, we um, we've been really aggressive in data analytics. Uh, we have a maturing data program. Um, you know, that continues to be the case. Our secretary uh, wants us to have a, a, a well-informed uh, have a, a data uh, environment where we make informed decisions based on factual data. Mm -hmm. so we're very aggressive with that as well. You know, so, you know, EI, you know, our network modernization uh, is, uh, with EIS is, uh, is very important to us. You know, we're taking a very um, transformative approach by consolidating 17 networks down to one across wow. USDA and uh, having a managed service approach to managing our, our network across USDA. So we've, we've started to make strides and making that happen as well. So, you know, as you, as you stated, you know, we have a, a, a lot going on. We have a very large presence across America and uh, there's no shortage of work <laughs> here at USDA in terms of, you know, what we're doing. So it's very exciting times here. No doubt. And uh, that's sort of that that's such a massive uh, uh, audience, external audience that has to interface with you. Uh, uh, just feel great that you all are doing some of that uh, customer experience and interaction there and taking advantage of these new technologies. Sylvia, not quite as large at Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, but I call it uh, small but mighty, right? Maybe uh, 30 seconds on on just to make sure everyone in the audience knows what that is, what you all do. And then, of course, what you've been doing over the last year. Sure. Thanks for asking, Luke. And I agree with you. FDIC is small but mighty and very important. Um, so if you got just for, for those of you um, who don't know what the FDIC is, if you go and just like walk around um, town and go to a bank, right, any bank, your bank, uh, you will probably see a little logo on mm -hmm. the window of the bank. And they may even have a plaque that says that they're FDIC insured. So the FDIC is an organization that is devoted to um, kind of uh, lending to the financial stability of, um, you know, our financial system and the banking system. And so we do a series of things. We do, um, we insure banks, right, up to $250,000 an account. And if, if for any reason the bank fails, that's insured, 
depositors um, can basically claim uh, up to the 250,000. And so it's, it, if you guys remember the, it's, it's the holidays, right? So you're gonna be watching It's a Wonderful Life with Jimmy Stewart. And there's always that scene, right? Where, you know, there's the savings and loan and um, the bank examiner comes and, you know, they're, they're trying to like close the books and show that the bank examiner, like that they're okay. Well, so that bank examiner is exactly like what FDIC does. We have bank examiners who that we insure the funds. So there's no run on the bank like there was in It's a Wonderful Life. People don't have to like put all their money in their mattress, right? It can be in the bank and it can be, it'll be safe. Um, so, so we insure, first of all. And then we go around and we have bank examiners along with um, bank examiners in the States. And we go and we just check periodically to make sure that everything's working fine. Um, we check on kind of what we call safety and soundness, um, which is just kind of the, the how the bank is managed and looking at their, their books and stuff like that and um, their port loan portfolios, all that. And then we also have a compliance part of examinations that's looking at laws um, to ensure the bank is following the laws that they're supposed to follow to protect consumers and, um, you know, and just ensure that there is a, a level playing field. So uh, we are very heavily involved in the Community Reinvestment Act, um, like ensuring compliance with that, along with other laws. So there's basically safety and soundness examinations, as well as compliance examinations. And then for if for any reason, um, a bank fails, um, and, you know, it, it, we are very lucky that we haven't had a ton of those in recent years, but if it does happen, the FDIC is the, is the entity in the federal government who will go in and work to what we call resolve and receive the bank. So um, we'll go in and basically see if there's another bank or another financial institution that's interested in buying the assets of the bank and taking over the business. And um, the last resort is that if that doesn't happen, the FDIC will take over the bank. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, and ensure that, um, you know, all claims and, um, you know, the, the, the deposits are, um, are treated in accordance with our laws and policy. And um, it's a great agency, it really is. So it shines in times of crisis. And um, we don't like to have crises very often, but they happen. And so we're, we're that stopgap. So it's, it is an important agency. I would just say, like, I am super proud of um, the work we've done over the last year and more. Um, one of the things that I, I'll, I'll tout is that um, for the second year in a row, our team has actually achieved a FISMA a maturity level of four, which means that we're measured and managed. And that was a big accomplishment for us. Uh, so last year and this year, our IG rated us four out of five. And, um, you know, in 2017, I believe we were rated at a, at a level two. So wow. that didn't happen by magic, you know, right. it happened through the hard work, right? That's what I was going to point out, a lot of hard work. And I would imagine that everyone on the uh, listening to this is, uh, is very thankful that uh, you're really hardening that environment and making sure that you stand at the ready in the event that uh, one of these banks gets in uh, into uh, 
uh, a troubled situation. I'm going to go to Melinda at Department of Justice. A lot of moving parts over there. Uh, there's no question that most people know what Justice does, but we certainly don't have an update on what you all have been doing over the course of the last year. Really looking forward to hearing this, Melinda. Absolutely. Hi, Luke. Nice to see you again. Um, it's been a busy year. It's been, for me at least personally, a busy decade. It's been nothing but a great challenge along the way. In terms of the last uh, 12 months or so, I would say it started off with the uh, ask of all the federal agencies to measure the COVID vaccination attestation status across uh, all agencies. And we had to deploy that very quickly along with everybody else. And this was um, something that uh, if I, as I look back the year, it might seem like a long time ago, but this is one of the moments that I feel very proud to be a part of this organization and the people that I work with. We looked around and uh, identified some of the existing applications that had the broadest reach we could potentially repackage to then serve the purpose of capturing vaccination information across our 120,000 employees, uh, also across uh, all states as well mm -hmm. as globally. We were able to get that stood up within 30 days. It was hard work. It was a lot of sleepless nights. But also, for me, one of the big takeaways was the fact that we really emphasized the user experience in that exercise because that was the point where everybody was still remote, yet executive leadership as well as the White House needed that data on vaccination status to determine what the ultimate return to work posture and timing should look like. So that was information that we needed to uh, gather to help ultimately our leadership uh, to decide uh, to make important decisions on work status. So we did that uh, with the intention of making this a very quick hit for our users, being able to come in very clearly, know what they need to enter in terms of uh, name, uh, vaccination status, uploading their card for proof of vaccination, mm -hmm. and essentially make sure that the experience was smooth crisp and in and out, because if we didn't make it crisp and easy, uh, people won't do it or they'll fail or I'm going to get a lot of complaints at the service desk on why didn't this application work. So ease of use, scalability, I mentioned earlier, we had we have 120,000 or so employees, so we've got to be able to handle the load, knowing that the surge is going to come. And that's one of the things we also did was uh, within a very quick time frame, also staged the rollout of this attestation database to make sure that we don't end up uh, causing ourselves uh, a denial of service. So that mm. was a lot of planning, a lot of moving parts, but definitely in looking back, something that I'm very proud of uh, to be a part of this organization and the people that supported the OCIO in rolling this out to the entire workforce. Um, that's certainly one area. The uh, two other areas I would like to mention is um, in terms of our uh, email and uh, virtual conferencing collaboration service consolidation. Luke, I think you may remember near and dear to your heart. This is what sure. you started when you were here years ago. Mm -hmm. That was phase one. And then we took on the journey of phase two to ultimately move, the every, move everything into uh, the cloud and um, this is an area where it's taken many years. It's truly a journey, but it's truly one of those major transformation efforts that does take time. It does take interaction with 
our component customers, I think Ann mentioned collaboration, that's key, building that trust and ultimately facilitating that migration over time to make sure that there's a great customer experience, that we leverage the technology, the new capabilities that's out there, and more importantly, streamline and standardize IT in the back end so that we actually have a cleaner infrastructure to maximize support and also to be able to tighten our cybersecurity posture. So within the past year, we successfully migrated uh, BOP, Bureau of Prison, as well as DEA uh, for a combined total of about 50,000 users into our enterprise repository. So now we're at about 110, uh, all under one umbrella, the unification of the family, if you will. But that's an area where it took, again, time, effort, dedication, and collaboration, cooperation among all the individuals involved to actually make that happen. Um, and then I would be remiss if I don't mention an accomplishment on the cybersecurity front. Um, we uh, have deployed or upgraded our uh, endpoint detection and response solution, EDR, across our uh, universe of end users. We actually roll it out to 140,000 endpoints. We have actually about over 200 that we need to hit. That's our goalpost. Uh, so we were able to deploy a large percentage of that a particular capability out very quickly within a matter of 12 months, and we expect that to finish in FY20, in fiscal year 23. Um, so those are some of the highlights that I can think of. It's been a busy year, but I couldn't do this uh, certainly by myself. I'm just very proud to be a member of the organization and the individuals that are very committed to support the IT mission for the Department of Justice. A very promising report. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. For the ninth consecutive year in a row, Pure Storage has been named a leader in the 2022 Gartner Magic Quadrant for primary storage arrays, positioned highest for ability to execute and furthest for completeness of vision. Pure has also been named a leader for the second consecutive year for distributed file systems and object storage. Pure uncomplicates government data management. Check out the Gartner Report to learn how Pure can help your agency reach its data potential at purestorage.com government. That's purestorage.com slash government. As agencies work to fulfill the goals of the president's management agenda, ServiceNow stands ready to help achieve an equitable, effective, and accountable federal government that delivers results for all. The ServiceNow platform creates a unified experience across departments for employees and citizens alike. Allowing agencies to utilize existing applications, ServiceNow digitizes processes to deliver the service and experience users expect and deserve. Learn more about how the government works with ServiceNow at servicenow.com gov. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We are talking about profiles and excellence, and we were just highlighting and reflecting back on the year. Jonathan, I'm going to throw it over to you to uh, give us sort of, a, you know, uh, a top line looking back. I know ServiceNow has been uh, implementing all kinds of fantastic capabilities across the federal sector. Give us a highlight. Well, thanks, Luke. You're right. Um, ServiceNow is working across the federal government doing uh, various kinds of digital transformation projects. Uh, we're working at over 350 uh, different government organiz federal government organizations at this point on, you know, really complex topics around homeland security and immigration, healthcare, finance. We do a lot of case management work. Um, our low code platform has really taken off dur during this past year. 
there's there's a particular project that I want to I want to talk about for a couple of minutes. Uh, something that we worked on with the Office of the Inspector General at HHS over over the past year. Um, HHS is OIG is the largest OIG in the in the government. They published uh, 150 reports last fiscal year. They have uh, 1,400 plus open recommendations uh, looking at the various HHS programs like Medicare and Medicaid and work at FDA and NIH. So it's a really complex organization and they want to increase the transparency and, and uh, make sure that the impact of their work is really well known. And one of the ways they do that is by publishing reports and evaluations. And then out of those reports and evaluations come recommendations. Those recommendations have a lot of great um, uh, information for the HHS operating divisions to take and apply into their into their processes and in how they run their programs. Now, this was a very manual process. Uh, all of us have probably worked with OIGs in the past, and there was a very email spreadsheet driven kind of approach to managing this information, responding to um, recommendations. So they, um, the HHS OIG office used ServiceNow to digitize this, this process and their legacy technologies that they used were disconnected. They were from the uh, early, uh, you know, 2000s and it was a very um, uh, siloed approach. So, you know, we, we have a lot of uh, activity, uh, ServiceNow does at HHS. So we did something like this with CMS in the past. And HHS OIG was able to build on top of that to take advantage of ServiceNow's low-code platform to digitize their processes across the entirety of the, of the organization. And while the technology isn't necessarily the hard part in some of these projects, we can all acquire these, these tools and, and build them the right way. It's really thinking through how the work and the data flows for these different business processes that um, HHS had. And as they, you know, reevaluated and redesigned some of these things and, and did the right change management, they were able to come up with a really elegant solution for agencies to respond to recommendations. So getting rid of cutting and pasting uh, from one system into another that the, the quote unquote squibble chair interface is, is going away. And um, they're able to use all of the data they have now on the ServiceNow platform to create dashboards that make it very easy for OIG leadership, for the department, operating divisions to understand the current status of, of their work, how many open recommendations there are, how many recommendations they have by operating division, so on and so forth. So you can really become very focused and you can understand where the risk is in, in the organization. And they very nicely uh, integrated. Uh, we will help them integrate this application with login.gov. So it has it's accessible by the whole of the department. Of course, we separate the data appropriately, but there's, um, there's a new way of doing work uh, around these really critical business process the OIG runs because of, because of ServiceNow. And we're really proud of this work. And it's, it's an example that I know other offices of the Inspector General are, are looking at and, and perhaps want to follow. And, you know, really, if we can do anything, we look back at anything on this project by making this information available and eventually uh, integrating it with oversight.gov, which tracks OIG activities across government and being able to eventually make this information appropriately uh, available to, uh, to the public. You know, we're increasing the transparency, we're increasing across government uh, and to the public, and we're really building trust. And when we can use our technologies to make data more accessible, we've already heard that a little bit 
here today, and we're able to make good decisions based on that data. You know, we were building a better government, and you know, really a, absolutely, it's a win-win opportunity. A absolutely, win-win-win when you get into that situation. And I love the fact that uh, so many agencies now really ringing the bell on login.gov. It's just a staple out there. Uh, Nick, um, you all have been involved in a lot of different uh, implementations, aligning up to uh, various goals that these various CIOs have. Give us an example, if you will, of where you've been able to line up and help one of these agencies achieve their goal. Uh, thanks, Luke. Uh, you know, reflecting on this and, and preparing for our broadcast, we've got to say that we're very pleased uh, to be with this group today and very proud to partner with each of these agencies as they continue to pursue their transformation and modernization efforts, especially in these particularly uh, tumultuous times. So we've been working across the government to help affect the data strategies and modernization initiatives across agencies and help them adopt a cloud model for enterprise data management uh, and achieve the seamless frictionless data leverage and data service mechanism to support department and agency operations now, while meeting uh, security and environmental goals as well. So the benefits to modern technology is obviously it delivers a, a more efficient, more responsive uh, capability to enable government agencies to perform their their operations and their missions more efficiently and more effectively. So the focus um, that we've seen this year in, in review has you know, continued to revolve around modernization and innovation because those are never-ending efforts. But security has once again come to the forefront, especially around ransomware mitigation um, and cybersecurity resiliency. And those have been tremendous focus efforts this year for us, especially in our, our healthcare customer space. So I kind of wanted to call out two particular agencies in this regard. Um, the Defense Health Agency and the Veterans Administration uh, have been two particularly uh, active areas for us around both data protection and resiliency, as well as enterprise transformation and modernization. Um, so we, we worked, we partnered with DHA to help them uh, create sort of a holistic on-premises, off-premises data architecture and infrastructure to support their modernization efforts, uh, particularly around modernizing their data protection as well as integration with the VAs uh, and DHS, uh, DHAs, uh, electronic health records maintenance. So, and when you take a look at the total patient population between those two agencies, it's a staggering amount of data and it's, uh, it's distributed across the country and around the globe. So helping them create a modernized environment that lets them, you know, without really having to think about it, seamlessly and frictionlessly move data between on-premises nodes and off-premises nodes and adhering to, you know, HIPAA and high tech and then protecting those data sets uh, against uh, external threats has been a tremendous challenge. And I want to, I want to applaud them for uh, their initiative and, and starting to think holistically about their data enterprise is not just one thing, but a mechanism for generating tremendous uh, data leverage across all of their customer base and all of their agencies. Um, and we've, we've done something fundamentally different. And obviously we've got a, a reputation as an on-premises data service platform company, but obviously we also have a tremendous amount of cloud enabled capability for enabling our customers to leverage data wherever, whenever, and however they want to. But we've also changed the business model 
for service delivery on that. So now we have everything available as a service, uh, which really has gone a long way to meeting the government's desire to do more subscription-based consumption of infrastructure and not locking themselves into you know, a, a CapEx investment that may continue to degrade over time and incur higher sustainment costs and technical debt. So enabling agencies to innovate, modernize, and maintain a level of modernization over time without any additional effort or cost has been fundamentally transformational for a lot of our customers as well. So we're excited to see this, this approach to data as the, as the core of the strategy for, for IT modernization, as well as the adoption of subscription uh, mechanisms for consumption. And that's, that's been a huge transformation because 10 years ago, if you said subscription services as opposed to CapEx to a government contracting officer, they wouldn't really know how to proceed. Yeah, and now it's right. really becoming the acquisition mechanism for services across the board. And absolutely, just- absolutely. Uh, so that consumption-based model is uh, is certainly here to stay. There's no question about that. And what a massive sort of uh, um, uh, undertaking uh, when you're talking about DOD, et cetera. So really do appreciate that. We are going to go to top two, two priorities. Sylvia, I'm going to start with you. Top sure. two priorities for FDIC. Absolutely. So I'll bucket Next them year. in. Yeah, I'll bucket them in. Uh, the two top priorities are, one, we are going to continue to shore up our foundation, the IT foundation. Um, so that includes both, uh, you know, the infrastructure and mm-hmm. kind of the way we do our business. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're, we're adopting agile DevSecOps and trying to implement um, kind of uh, CI/CD tool chains, you know, to automate um, delivery. Um, kind of, I think Anne was talking about that earlier. So mm-hmm. all that is part of like just ensuring that we're right. operating on a rock solid foundation. The second priority is really about continuing to modernize the business, right? The, the business through the technologies they use, so to support that. Um, and you know we have a we have a number of critical projects that we have on our list. I mentioned some of the mission areas that we work mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. Um, each one of them are on their own journeys um, to modernize their business, and um, you know we want to be side by side with them and are side by side with them to really support uh, whatever they're trying to do with the technology. So it's really those two things at a high level sort of modernizing in a modern way and really sort of setting the stage there. I love it. And I'm sure your examiners, et cetera, love it as well. Jonathan, top priority, you're getting these different demand signals from various customers. Top priority for service now next year. Well, I think it's going to be really a focus on something, you know, we're calling total experience or service experience. Mm. So we think about the executive order on customer experience and the president's management agenda's focus on, on customers. And we think about supporting uh, federal employees and the PMA. And then the, the idea that employee experience and customer experience are two different things. I think really, um, you know, it's all about your perspective. When, when you're uh, an employee, you're a customer of HR, you're a customer of the agency. Mm-hmm. It's really about what it's like when you get a service as, as a customer. And you add in user experience, you add in the multiple channels that you can get the experience, whether it's uh, on a mobile device, in an office setting, in a web browser. 
however it is. And you think about the combination of, of ways that we serve uh, public or we serve our employees. And um, I think you end up looking at things a little differently, less segmented. It's all about creating great experiences and making sure that people have what they need to do their jobs. And it's always been a focus of ServiceNow, but I think it's going to be an even greater focus. ServiceNow does uh, real, what, what ServiceNow does really well is it connects things. It connects people, it connects organizations, it connects data. We take these concepts and we can apply them not just in one kind of service delivery. We can really raise that, uh, the, that view up from uh, providing service to an employee, which is, of course, very important to our customer, to be thinking about how do uh, large segments of uh, an agency or the public receive service from one or more organizations in an agency or across government and use the ServiceNow platform as a connective tissue across these, you know, big challenging initiatives to make sure that people have what they need. They're well served. And when you have those great experiences, you know, we're back to building trust. You're creating uh, moments that really matter for people and they begin to view government, they begin to view agencies. Right, and, right. Really focusing on that sort of whole experience. I think that's, that always, that, right, that's always been and will continue to be a tremendous focus for our team at ServiceNow. Fantastic. I really do appreciate that. And uh, top two priorities at the Department of Energy this year. Luke, that is always such a hard question to get down. I know, to. I know. Tell we're you only, all about. We're only going to give you two. I know, I know. I will only give you two because I go back about all the things we already talked about. So I'm going to talk about two sure. things that are a little different. Right, number one is workforce. Uh, you know, and you've already heard this from from my former panelists, from my from my um, from the other panelists in yes. uh, different ways. Um, but we're really doubling down on building our workforce, just like everyone else in the federal government. We have a lot of people who are who are approaching retirement age. Uh, we have the national labs who are doing just absolutely um, key research and, and NSA that is trying to secure our environment. And they absolutely, we've got to find that cyber talent in very remote areas. If you look at the map of where DOE sites are, most of them aren't sitting in major cities. They're not in places where you think that's where tech talent migrates to. So right. I got to get people to uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico and Idaho Falls, Idaho and, you know, places that are a little harder. So we're, we're we've, we've created a number of efforts. Um, one is uh, we have uh, an internship called the Omni Internship Alliance, where we place students across the DOE enterprise and they're paid internships. We know the government has this habit of giving unpaid internships and oh, nice. you know, that that doesn't help us hire underrepresented minorities, um, doesn't help us hire women. Um, so we really want to get those paid internships out there and we get make sure that students have housing in places like Santa Fe, New Mexico, that they can get to places like Santa Fe because they often don't have cars. So we've got to figure out a way to get them there for them to be able to get around, for them to have housing. And so we wrap around all those services into that um, into that internship for 10 weeks in the summer, and then we bring them every year back to a different site. So the goal is to have them go to three different organizations wow. for three I years. And then um, at the end, we sponsor them for clearance. So they're ready to come to work uh, for the federal government in, an, in, a, in a security position or, or another position that requires a clearance. Um, so that's a huge part of what we're doing um, in terms of, of developing our workforce. We have lots of other people development things going on, but that's the most exciting thing in workforce development. Um, I think the other thing I'm gonna go back to in priorities is innovation. Um, 
we've really doubled down our innovation efforts. We're working um, with uh, with the White House uh, to expand our work on Justice 40 for delivering tools and capabilities. Um, we're doing a lot of work in AI, which is getting traction not only in DOE, but our, our team um, that's doing some AI applications has actually been been sharing that with a with a number of other department of agent departments mm. and agencies, including some that are on this call, who've asked us for us to share our work. And I think that that's just the power of the federal government. It is that we can I can do it, build an application, and I can share it with one of my colleagues. And and that's true across government. We shouldn't just share it with the federal government. We should be sharing across government in general. Um, and so that's I'll lead in a little bit and say that is the other piece. We're really trying to work across the interagency, across international partners um, to to share our capabilities and uh, to really become more successful as a, as a as an enterprise, a government enterprise. Sure. that And that's stellar. I love to hear the uh, the sharing of that type of uh, uh, knowledge, talent and uh, technical capability. We're going to take another short break. Uh, you're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on the Federal News Network. For the ninth consecutive year in a row, Pure Storage has been named a leader in the 2022 Gartner Magic Quadrant for primary storage arrays. Positioned highest for ability to execute and furthest for completeness of vision. Pure has also been named a leader for the second consecutive year for distributed file systems and object storage. Pure uncomplicates government data management. Check out the Gartner Report to learn how Pure can help your agency reach its data potential at purestorage.com government. That's purestorage.com slash government. As agencies work to fulfill the goals of the president's management agenda, ServiceNow stands ready to help achieve an equitable, effective, and accountable federal government that delivers results for all. The ServiceNow platform creates a unified experience across departments for employees and citizens alike. Allowing agencies to utilize existing applications, ServiceNow digitizes processes to deliver the service and experience users expect and deserve. Learn more about how the government works with ServiceNow at servicenow.com gov. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We are talking about profiles and excellence. We're just getting into priorities. Melinda, I'm going to throw it over to you. Top two priorities for the Department of Justice. All right, Lou, top two. One is workforce. Second is identity management. Workforce, we need to continue to upskill the folks that we have, provide them training opportunities to continue to be a better professional, a more sophisticated professional. And certainly we want to recruit folks. Uh, there's natural turnover that comes with the IT industry. Probably I would sure. say that's even higher than your, some of your other functional areas, whether it's you know uh, accounting or finance or HR. So we need to continuously have a pipeline of individuals that are willing to support the mission, that are interested in supporting the mission, and um, we can certainly give them a lot of exposure uh, to very interesting projects that are uh, really being supported across all of DOJ. So uh, for any young folks that's looking for uh, an opportunity in the federal government, uh, come talk to me, come talk to us. Uh, there's plenty of work to do, but also interesting mission-oriented work that uh, not only will be fulfilling as a professional, but hopefully would uh, look good on their uh, resumes for their next jobs. So that's on the workforce front. And then I love the using item. this platform as a, a recruiting mechanism. 
Yes, I, I had a, a smart uh, a mentor who uh, always tells me to do that. Thank you, Luke. Um, so the second item is identity management. Uh, we at mm -hmm. DOJ and Cybersecurity Arena, we've done a lot in terms of tracking our assets, making sure we always have our assets under management, monitoring for those that may not be, and then also ultimately bringing those into management. But I think at this point we've shifted, we've always known that we needed to focus on identity management using two-factor authentication. But at this point, we're also centralizing the platform we're using to authenticate the individuals. So that's an important initiative for us to uh, deliver on in FY23 is unifying how we determine who we let in onto our networks into our asset or application. So that mm -hmm. piece is uh, a go post I want to hit for FY23. Uh, such a critical situation. Nick, top priority for pure storage next so, year? Great question. So our focus is driving down the total cost of data and improving our customers' ability to leverage their data more efficiently and effectively in order to deliver their desired outcomes faster and easier. And we're doing this in two ways. We're focusing on improving the operating efficiency uh, by creating the technology to start driving transformation to an all-flash data center. Uh, by making high-performance systems that are priced comparable to legacy data systems. And the second one is improving the business efficiency for our customers. So driving down the total cost of data by focusing on delivering that cloud operating model for unified infrastructure and continuing to enhance our business model to support more efficient consumption by our customers. So it's the technology and the business operations. And no question that these agencies collecting massive amounts of data. So driving that cost down, super important. Speaking of a large agency that's collecting a lot of data, Gary, top two priorities for Department of Agriculture going forward. Thanks, Luke. I, I, uh, one would be uh, we're very focused on improving um, service delivery and the experience for our customers. And I mean, mm -hmm. when I say customers, I mean the American public. And that's everything Amen. from you know, making sure that when they engage USDA, you know, they have the same experience as they do when they go to the ATM, they pay their loans, you know, they apply, you know, they buy a car online, that kind of thing. We want them to have that experience. And that's everything from the uh, public facing engagement all the way to the back end, modernizing the technologies and making sure that they're secure and everything. So, uh, you know, we, we, we can do that and weaving diversity, equity and inclusion into that by you know, using technology to reach out to underserved communities or farmers that don't have access to um, USDA resources that uh, you know, they would normally have access to. And they can do that in a modern fashion as well. And the, the second priority would be, you know, again, as my colleagues have said, IT workforce. Um, you know, we, whether it be the Forest Service has a job core program where they're recruiting people uh, for, for, for IT workforce in, in, in various areas of IT, so the cybersecurity. Uh, we've been reaching out to minority serving institutions, visiting these institutions, making sure that they understand that you know, USDA has a lot of opportunities. We're looking for modern skill sets um, because the way IT has evolved, we are um, looking at how we engage our customers from an IT perspective and getting them involved in, in, in how we do things moving forward so we can you know, truly uh, have it be a collaborative experience and manage this as an enterprise and have folks that are able to support things such as AI or know something about machine learning and, and the internet of things, which is becoming more and more of a desire in USDA, especially in our scientific community. Sure, and uh, a, a lot of discussion on this panel today about um, 
various aspects of um, you know uh, leadership, if you will, in, in, in regards to uh, personnel, workforce, et cetera, which is interesting. And a nice segue into our last question. Melinda, I'm going to start with you. And this is really about leadership and sort of this changing dynamic environment that we're in. You know, I just can't imagine having gone through what you all went through over the last three and four years, you know, with your own workforce, right, and trying to sort of keep them steady and focused on the North Star in your entire agency and, and such a lean on the IT organization to operate in these dynamic environments. I just want to ask you about leadership and how you find yourself leading in this sort of new way of operating, not only with your own organization, but your agency. Um, I would say, Luke, sometimes it just, it takes a, a challenging time to take us back to the basics. It, it, it does come down to actually people. Yes, today our new motto is we need to be able to provision and allow people to work from anywhere, from any device uh, at any time. And um, there's all sorts of evolution in terms of rolling out new applications, new ways of looking at data, but ultimately it comes down to having the right people, supporting the organization. We have a lot of very committed individuals in the office of the CIO here within my office, but also across the entire uh, department. And I think it is about their continued dedication and motivating them and helping them understand why we're doing what we're doing. Ultimately, it is for the purpose of supporting the greater mission of the Department of Justice, but letting an, each individual know that what they're doing makes a difference in contributing to the overall goodness and the accomplishments of our uh, organization. I think that's critical in helping people connect the dots of what they're doing actually matters. It is not just uh, turning the dials on a widget or pushing paper from left to right, but rather it is truly enabling our frontline front, front officers and prosecutors to be able to do their jobs, hopefully a little bit more effectively, a little bit more easily. So I think it still comes down for me, at least personally to people. Um, we talked a lot about workforce. My workforce is similar to what Gary mentioned. And um, I think what also Anna mentioned in terms of uh, a large number of them are retirement eligible. How do I potentially incentivize some of them to stay a little longer because they do have great institutional knowledge, but I have to have the new recruits come in to, to see the excitement really of our mission to be able to bring them in and help them grow their careers, but also from a manager and leader perspective, I can get some productivity out of them. I think that's a beautiful win-win situation. Yes, we are CIOs, we're chief information officers. We do a lot with IT, with a lot of data, with the bits and bytes, but ultimately we need good people behind all of that to really be successful. I really do appreciate it. Sylvia, you've run large organizations. You're in a small and mighty organization. You top-lined a lot of things that FDIC does. How do you find yourself sort of leading in that kind of an environment these days and trying to make sure you're accomplishing all these things that you've outlined? I'm just going to say it's all about e pluribus unum. Okay. Many one. It's about like, and that's all to me, that's about teamwork. It's about seeing ourselves as a member of the team, whether you're talking about at the agency level or I'm talking about inside my own organization. It's, it's, it's um, I, I, I talk about us working as one driving force towards achieving like these really hard, complex goals um, because, and, and it takes true collaboration, teamwork, partnership, being willing to hear each other. I agree totally with what Melinda was saying. 
that it's about people, but kind of going further into that, it's about how we show up as individuals um, as part of a team driving to an outcome. Um, because if you don't do that, basically you're pulling against each other and it dilutes your ability to actually approach a complex pro problem with like a solid force. And um, in my experience, you have the most success around the most complex and challenging work um, when you're unified and you, you each respect each other's role because everybody brings something different to the table, right? When you can parlay that into kind of um, true teamwork, um, you can get like, I, I've just seen, you can get anything done. And I, I would say that um, the FDIC is an organization that thrives in times of crisis. And how does that happen? It's because the whole organization comes together and, um, and everybody pitches in. It doesn't matter like what your title is, right? You pitch in and you do whatever you need to do to help the organization get to what it needs to do. Um, so that's my answer. Laser focused on the North Star. I love it. Uh, Gary, I, I think about the situation uh, over there at USDA. I'm sure you have thousands of folks that work for you directly, thousands of USDA employees out there that are working in this new emerging type of environment. And then as you've described in your answers there more than once, um, thousands of uh, hundreds of thousands of customers out there that need these goods and services. So um how do you find yourself leading and sort of, you know, inspiring your organization to, to show up, as Sylvia says, and fight the good fight every day in that sort of very complex and massive scale that you're dealing with? I, I, I think Melinda and Sylvia uh, both hit the nail right on the head. Uh, you know, it, it's all about people and they have to feel like they are part of a team. And um, I, I keep reminding my staff, um, that, you know, they're part of something larger than themselves, you know, and, you know, we have to take a, a lot of pride in, in serving the American public and, and uh, introducing them something that's of great value. And um, we spend a lot of time, um, we, we really listen to our customers. Um, we've gotten to the OCIO um, is a part of the team. Um, you know, I have a very close relationship with my deputy secretary and the secretary. I listen to a lot of uh, the political staff as well as the career leaders, and we have some very um, open, transparent conversations about their needs, and you know, and they trust that we're going to deliver to them. And uh, OCIO is, is is credible here at U USDA, so um, we're all on the same team here. Uh, it's a great partnership with our uh, program colleagues. Um, you know, we know we have a very diverse department with massive missions that affect everybody in America. So we really roll our sleeves up and, and we uh, take a lot of pride in getting together and making sure that we, you know, uh, provide value added solutions rather than harp on problems or things that may have happened many years ago. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been a great experience being a CIO here at USDA with this team that we have. And it's uh, um, really an honor to have you on the show here and, and uh, top line all these activities. And uh, once again, another uh, CIO that's run uh, all different types of agencies and departments. Uh, Department of Energy, uh, very complex, right? A lot of different moving parts with these labs and um, uh, environment up at headquarters, et cetera. 
you've had an opportunity to lead in different types of ways, different types of mechanisms. How do you find yourself? What do you? What are the tools and techniques that you find yourself leaning on uh, to to make sure that these goals are being accomplished for the Department of Energy? Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Of course, now I've got a frog in my throat. So, Luke, I think um, I want to emphasize the points already made and, and not repeat them. Which is number one. People have to feel attached and associated in the mission. They can't just be like, I'm doing IT. They need to know why they're doing it. Um, and then number two, uh, it is about the team. The team, people, I feel like they're part of a team, like they're working together to accomplish that mission. So from there, uh, to your question, well, how do we get there? I, you know, I think we are working in the most complex environment possible right now. We were just, I was just in Louisville earlier this week for our cyber fire uh, training event. And we're help, we're hosting it hybrid this time, and the team was was violently in agreement that in the future they're going to do one virtual a year and one in person a year because it's too hard to train people in a hybrid environment. And that, but yet that is the environment we walk into every single day now in our workforce, uh, and we struggle um, to maintain a culture in that environment because I think you know you you get that mission focus that teamwork. It all goes down to what's your culture. How do you create that team? And it's, it's all about that culture and it's all about relationships. Uh, and we are, I think at DOE at least to an extent living on the relationships that were built before the pandemic started and struggling to integrate people who came to us after the pandemic started. And we see a real difference in engagement among those two groups. We've got people who say, I know everybody, I can work great at home. And other people say, I don't know anybody, I need to see my colleagues. So we're doubling down on finding opportunities for people to meet each other in person, whether that's our OCIO team, whether it's DOE at large, whether it's our commitment this year, DOE has 97 plants and sites. My commitment is that this year, someone on my organization will set foot in every single one of those sites, that they will see our team, that we'll be present and that they'll know that we care about them and we care what they're doing. Um, so, so those relationships are just more important because ultimately, you know, and this is not my, you know, we've all heard this before. People don't remember what you said. They remember how you made them feel. And developing a culture where people feel good about their work, showing up in person and showing people you're interested, that's what people remember. Um, so I think that we have to double down right now on how we how we lead our people, how we build a culture, finding those opportunities to, to create that new workplace where people are in person intentionally. Right. We previously were in person every day because that was how the workplace was. We're not anymore. So how do we intentionally come together and build relationships? So that's to me the next the next step. And we haven't got it all figured out, but we're working to figure it out. Uh, a remarkable way to close and a good catch on uh, those that were pre-pandemic and knew each other versus folks that have just entered into the workforce and never met some of these folks person to person, including their bosses. Right. So it's an interesting dynamic there. And we certainly do appreciate it. I want to thank all of you for taking the time out of your busy schedules to join us today. I'd like to thank the sponsors for supporting us on this show. I'd like to thank the good people here at Federal News Network that make our program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, I'd like to thank the listening audience out there that tune in every month. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum, part of the Federal News Network. Thank you for listening to the Federal Executive Forum series on Federal News Network. This show was produced by Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com.